0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. I'm Pastor Ben. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, We're doing this carol series. Today we're going to look at Away in the Manger, Confession. I forgot to switch the song to Away in the Manger for the intro there. Um, So I'm going to ask Tyson and Lindsay to come up here, and and they're going to do their own rendition of Away in a Manger. They're like, what are you talking about? No, I asked these guys to come up here because... Um, if, if you guys, uh, some of you may uh, not know uh, Lindsay and Tyson Pepper, uh, they've been with us for a long time. You guys like each other. Look at you two. <clears throat> but they've been with us all the way back since the rec center days, and they're not going anywhere either. But I brought them up here this morning because for the last couple years, it's been some time now, they have served very faithfully with our youth ministry program. And uh, that is no easy uh, leadership role that both of them have uh, taken on for the last few years. And they have done a phenomenal job. uh, And they have really sacrificed a lot to just share Jesus with teenagers through Lifestone. And so uh, they are, why am I bringing them up now? They're kind of making some changes in their life. Uh, Tyson, although I'm older than he is, um, is retiring and transitioning in work and and doing some things like that, and so uh, they thought it best, and that God was leading them to uh, step down from leading in youth ministry. Um, and so, what I wanted to do this morning is just say thank you so much. So, could you guys, like, in way of applause, just tell these guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> And we really do appreciate you guys, everything that you've done, the way the kids love these these guys. There's going to be lifelong relationships and connections. Uh, and like I said, they're not going anywhere. Uh, Tyson's a part of our church board, so he plays uh, a key role in that. Lindsay serves in all sorts of areas. In fact, right now, I'm keeping them from serving. <laughs> They're supposed to be in the kids' area because they serve so much. So you guys are just amazing, and we really, really thank you guys for everything that you do. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we'll uh, begin the message. God, we love you. We thank you so much for people like Lindsey and Tyson and Raddick. We thank you for the Pepper family. We thank you uh, for people willing to serve and to just say, I know uh, it's easier to 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 maybe just Use my time in ways that I would want to. But these guys have sacrificed and said they want other people to know you. They want other kids and teenagers and adults to know your love and your goodness. And so I just thank you for faithful servants like Lindsay and Tyson. I pray as they continue in a new new role and doing different things in our church, God, that you would continue to bless them in a powerful way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. We love you guys. Thank you very much. And some of you guys may be asking, well, uh, what's in the future? The other wonderful thing about the Pepper's leadership is that they have built up a wonderful, strong group of leaders that are leading our teenagers. And so um, there's a very natural and easy transition uh, that will be happening with that. So we'll let let you guys know uh, all the details of that in the future. Um, So like I said this morning, we're looking at, some carols. Today we're looking at a way in the manger. And uh, we've been looking at a few carols, and, and the whole basis of this is that when we sing this Christ, these Christmas carols that we do every year, that they, they could actually be a source of worship. That they wouldn't just be, you know, something, oh, it's Christmassy, and we love that feeling that we get at Christmas. But so many of these carols, now we have some that are just kind of referenced like secular Christmas traditional things, you know, Frosty the Snowman and whatever, but there are some some carols that we sing um, that, that really point to what Christmas is really all about, um, and so Away in the Manger, of course, is one of them, so we're going to look at it this morning, and that's our hope and prayers, that uh, th- continuing on through all your Christmases, uh, that when you sing these songs, you really reflect on the beautiful truth of who Jesus is and what really happened at Christmas. And so, um, "Away in the Manger" is maybe just a very classic Christmas carol uh, that many of us are very familiar with. The history of it: um, people use it for many, many years. People thought that Martin Luther actually was the author of "Away in the Manger," and historians have kind of looked into that and really debunked that. And they really don't know who wrote it. They know when it first came up, uh, and and kind of the source of it. It was a Sunday school curriculum back in 1885. And so this song's been with us a while, and I'm just going to read some of the, some of the um, lyrics here. Away in the manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Doubt it. <laughs> Every time I sing that, I'm like, I, 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 you know, because he was perfect, he didn't cry. I, I don't think so. I bet he was crying. Anyways, um, I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my side till morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and take us for heaven to live with thee there. And so what we're going to look at this morning as we we read that, the thing that really jumps out to me is this phrase of how Jesus is explained. And and it happens um, four, five times within this. And it's Lord Jesus. He's referred to throughout this carol as Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look at the implications of what that means. Um, I think sometimes we, we... look at, we, there's certain terms that we've heard many times that kind of lose their effectiveness and their meaning. Uh, one, another one is Jesus Christ. Well, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ means something. It's pointing to the significance of who he, he is. Christ is, is, means the Messiah, the one that God foretold and promised uh, for many, many years. And, and when we say Jesus is Lord... We're proclaiming something incredibly important about who he is. Um, and so let's, let's look at this. Uh, Jesus is Lord in your program. That's what we're proclaiming. And that's what I really hope you see and, and just jumps out off the page when you, when you sing this cute little carol. Um, 740 times Jesus is referenced in the Bible as Lord. 740 times. Uh, And and let me just read a couple scriptures that point to what this means, the significance of what we're really crying out. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, I love this passage. It says, though he was God, and and I I think this could be another passage you could read Christmas morning before you open presents. Because this is the, the Christmas story as well. that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is. We have it 740 times. There's one of them right there. But a picture that we get of what, um, what the story is of Christmas. That This is really, you know, if you, if you maybe reverse it, well, what's, what's the background of this little baby in Bethlehem? Well, this baby, and and of course you can back up in Luke and kind of see what's happening here, but here it gives a beautiful picture, that he is God himself coming to this world, but then yet submitting to God the Father, and I know that's where our brains go, oh, that's confusing, how do we wrestle with that, how do we get our arms around that? It is because God isn't like us, and what he presents himself in, clearly in Scripture, is that he is bigger than what we think of. We try to put him in our human form, but he is three persons in one. There is one God, and yet he expresses himself, and he has this unity and this diversity of, of three persons, and Jesus is one of those persons. And, and he comes and does this incredibly humble act of, of coming to this earth, to giving his, his life ultimately on a cross. Luke 2:10 through 11 let's let's look at the more familiar maybe christmas story and passage but the angels reassured them don't be afraid he said i bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people the savior yes the messiah the lord has been born today in bethlehem the city of david and again and as i mentioned christ means messiah that's another uh, emphasis that's, that's often given to Jesus, that he's Lord and that he's Messiah. And so because we use this title and this term, and I even think maybe in different cultures it would be even more difficult. Um, let's say in medieval England, where there's all these lords and ladies, right? And there's lords over, you know, if you lived in a certain territory, there was some lord of the land or whatever, like they actually use that term more often. And so you might, as we're looking at Jesus having that title, you might think, well, he's just super important. But the, the, the um, description that he's given as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, is that he is the greatest Lord. But because we don't use that term very much, let me share with you, I usually don't do this, try to, I try to impress you guys with what the original Greek says, but um, the, the Greek word for Lord is kurios. And what that word specifically means is this, supreme in authority, controller, or Lord. That's what supreme in authority. You know, we, um, we've had the privilege to baptize many, many people uh, since we've started Lifestone Church, and, and part of walking through baptism with people and making sure and that they know what, what it's all about and why they're getting baptized. And, and that it's this beautiful picture and symbol and proclamation to the world that they have done what? That they have decided and declared that Jesus is Lord. That they 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 have uh, understood that that truth. And so, and this is kind of the historical proclamation when people get baptized. I tell people, and you guys, many of you know this who have been baptized here, uh, you have a line to share and, and sometimes people I say hey you share it how you want to I don't want to dictate that but but here's something that's been the historic proclamation of believers when they get baptized. Jesus is Lord. And what we're saying is he is supremely in control. And and we're understanding that and recognizing that. And I love I really actually love that the definition, the other one that's that's included there is controller because that's probably the biggest problem that we have, is we want to be in control, right? He can be in control of things like forgiving my sin so I can go to heaven. Like, you can handle that, Jesus. But like my day-to-day, I got that. I'm good. And so that's the real challenging part of what does it mean? What are the implications? And that's what we're going to walk through this morning. What are the implications um, of the fact that we really Because of our sinful nature, we're bent towards us wanting to be in control. But yet we're declaring that that Jesus is the one who who is ultimately in control, and we should fall under that. Here's an important distinction, I think. We don't make Jesus Lord. Sometimes we use that terminology and we use that phrasing. I don't think we're intentionally trying to say something misleading or anything. But, But it's not that we make Jesus Lord, you know, make Jesus Lord of your life or whatever. We are falling under his lordship. He is Lord. He is all in control. He is the supreme being that created everything that's e- existed eternally, that is all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing. He is Lord. And we have a choice to fall under his lordship or to reject that, that position that, that he has. Um, Ephesians 1.21 says, Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also the world to come. One of my greatest hopes as a pastor is that is that I um, can try to help people and help myself get a bigger view of God. Because the biggest, most grand view of who God is, I think, that we can come up with will come short, way short, of how big he really is. And if we understood how big he was, I think that would change, you know, how we we respond. And so um, I love verses like that, Ephesians 121, reminding us just how great and awesome God is. And I love that distinction, too. And this is one that we see. We see it in Revelation a couple times, and this one's not as common, but that Jesus is declared to be Lord of lords and King of kings. So what does it look like to surrender to the lordship of Christ? So first I'm going to look at something that I think is pretty common. And I don't mean to lay some guilt trip on anyone's life here or anything. I'm guilty of this myself. But, but the first thing to fill out here, the second, third thing, whatever, wherever you find it in your program, I didn't put numbers, the partially surrendered life. And I think that's what we're, many of us are, are guilty of, that, that we just, like I said, like, Jesus, you can handle, you know, the get me into heaven part. That's cool. I'll just handle the rest of my life. But when we fall under the lordship, under the control, under the complete authority of Jesus— that 's not what we 're called to do um, in Luke 646. it says, "So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don 't do what I say?" And this is a direct quote from Jesus, and he 's pointing out and, and pointing out something very sensitive to my own life, because that 's me. Like I proclaim Jesus as Lord, but so often I think i 've got things figured out better. And, and I don't do what he says. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Now, this is the surrendered life version. Okay? So, so I put the PSV. Uh, it's the partially. I'm sorry. Partially. I forgot that important uh, adjective. Partially surrendered version. Okay? If you haven't been with this for a while, this isn't a real version of the Bible. <laughs> and it goes like this. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in some things you do, and He will suggest to you which path to take. <laughs> now that is the partially surrendered view, but that's what so many people who proclaim Jesus, that's what they live by. That's what I'm guilty of living by. And if some of you guys are familiar, hey, that sounds like a familiar passage. This is an incredibly well-known passage. We'll look at it at the end here of what the fully surrendered life looks like. But my question to you this morning is, what have I not surrendered to Jesus? W- what is it in my life that I, I'm just, I want to hold on to and be in control of, not allow God to be in control of? And I just left a blank. <laughs> I'm not going to fill it out there for you. But let me walk through some what I think are common things and, and why we don't surrender. First of all, I think it's out of fear. It's usually fear-based. Doubt is something else that comes into play. Uh, Just our own desire to be in control. If you're like me, anyone hate it when someone else is driving, right? I'm looking at you men especially, like, but it's not just men all the time. Like, you can't get in a car and someone else is driving. You're like, ah, this is, ah, driving me crazy, Um. Or someone else, you know, you go on vacation with someone else and they control the, the, the schedule or something and, you know, whatever. Like we, we naturally, and some of us more than others, want to be in control of everything. Um, sometimes we, we have this idea that if we surrendered everything to God, we'd be missing out on some experience. Or, or it would lead to some difficulty or some hardship or some painful thing. And the root of all these things is just basically lies. That's basically it. Uh, Satan, or the, the, one, the enemy who wants us not to live for God, but, but to just go in any other direction, he is the uh, deceiver. And, and the heart and root of deception is simply lies. That's why Romans 12.1 tells us, here's what God wants. He wants us to renew our minds, to get us to quit believing lies and and to embrace the truth and when we do that our lives will look different because when we begin to believe the truth we will live differently our actions will will be very different our our priorities will be very different Um, so at the root of it it really is just lies Uh, and it it leads to a really miserable form of christianity living this kind of surrendered or i'm sorry partially surrendered life leads to this like one foot in the world and trusting in it and having our hopes tied to it and thinking like we don't want to miss out on stuff with it and then our other foot kind of like oh but i don't want to go to the hot place and and sadly i mean that just that that thinking right there is really a lie it's deception it's it's false thinking And so, uh, Jesus tells us how to do relationships. Jesus defines marriage. Jesus tells us to not store our treasures in heaven and to be generous. Jesus tells us to focus on reaching the lost, not ourselves and those who already know him. Jesus tells us to submit to authority, even if it's not great authority. Jesus tells us he's the only way. Jesus tells us to go and share him with everyone. Jesus tells us to forgive and not become bitter and angry. Jesus tells us to live at peace with others. So why don't we do these things? Why don't I do these things? I don't fully trust him. I partially trust him in certain areas and certain categories. But I don't fully trust him in all things we think hoarding money, being greedy, spending money on ourselves will result in peace, joy, and fulfillment. Like, that's a natural idea in thinking, right? If we hoard our money, try to get as much as we can, and spend it on ourselves, on the things that will give us joy and satisfaction, like, this is such a simple, right, thing to kind of lay out, so much so that every Christmas we watch a pretty well-known, you know, uh, movie on it that's got so many different versions, but we give in to that lie, like on a constant basis, people who are proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Jesus saying, hey, don't, don't keep your treasures in heaven, and that it's better to give than receive, these are all direct quotes from Jesus, but then we, then we think, no, but man, it, it really, that's not the truth. we don't live out that way. Now, I don't know what your favorite version of the classic example of someone who's greedy and not generous and just hoards all their wealth is. My, mine is the Muppets. Christmas Carol. Hermie. Yeah, little, the tiny frog kid who, I don't know what happens. Something happens to him, and then they have frog legs for Christmas dinner or something. I don't know. <laughs> My wife's like, yeah, okay, don't say things off the cuff. Just checking to see if you guys are awake. Um, it's funny, though, I think. We watch these movies even, and even at a secular level, there's some certain truths that, that can be pointed out. Because truth is truth no matter where you're going to find it. Uh, but Jesus teaches us these things, and, and yet we just don't believe. Uh, We believe the culture's definition of doing relationships and marriage will result in more harmony and satisfaction, and everything shows that that's not the case, that doing it God's way actually results in greater satisfaction and greater uh, uh, fulfillment in relationships. We believe complaining about authorities in our lives, from our bosses to our politicians to our pastors, will result in us being happier at work and with our country and in our local church family, because that's what happens, right? The more we we complain about our politicians and our bosses and, you know, whatever leadership thing that that you are under, that God's put you under, whatever position that is, that, man, that makes you way more happier and, and content and really helps solve problems within whatever's going on, right? We know that's silly and that's a lie and of course, God's word directs us in a, to have a different attitude and a different um, you know, view of those things. We believe that sharing God's message of grace and forgiveness through faith in Jesus will make us look ridiculous. And people will reject us, and it won't be worth it. And some people may be reject us, but it will be absolutely worth it. And yet, we're, we're called to proclaim God's new, gr- good news to be a light in darkness, to go and to proclaim this incredible, the greatest message and news ever. And the truth is that if you've ever been a part of that, if you've been able to share just the good news, not shove it down someone's throat, not twist someone's arm to to accept it, but just simply share it with someone who's open to it and they receive that and their eternity is changed forever and God uses you as a part of his plan to just share this truth, and someone's life and eternity is changed forever. That is the most one of the most satisfying, incredible experiences you'll ever experience. And if you've done that, you know that. But there's many, many Christians who give in to a lie that say, "No, that's scary. That's an incredibly scary thing to." I don't want to preach at anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to, you know, whatever it is. But th- these are the. You know, some of the big things that come to my mind that I think we don't fully surrender to. uh, We believe that we're justified in our hatred and our unforgiveness for others. And if those people experience our hate towards them, somehow we'll feel better, right? Whoever's done us wrong. And it's good to just keep that hate inside. And if we get an opportunity to make them feel bad or to share that hate with them, then it's like, ooh, sweet satisfaction that's that's the lie that we're told, and that's how we operate so often when people do us wrong and god 's word tells us no, forgive like you've been forgiven you didn't deserve it, and so if someone else doesn't deserve your forgiveness, why don't you be an example of Jesus to them and 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 and, and get closer to God and get closer to know who Jesus is and what he's done because you understand that level of forgiveness that you've forgiven in a case where the person didn't deserve it. Then you appreciate what Jesus has done even more. And then what happens when you let go of that? Let go of that anger and that bitterness and that unforgiveness. Man, incredible peace. We, we, we want revenge, right? But God says, no, forgive. Um, so let's look at the fully surrendered life. And just a few passages that really, I think, makes this crystal clear of what we're called to do coming under the lordship of who Jesus is. So the fully surrendered life, Romans fourteen seven through 8, says, For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. What an incredible view of what it really looks like, of what life is really all about, that, that no matter if we live or die, and that's a beautiful thing, this world can't really do anything to us when we have that perspective. You know, it was so frustrating when you look at, one of these days, Like I've said this a few times, I want to do a whole series on Christian history. Have you ever, I, I've never been in a church where we, and I know, I've heard of some, but but um, I've never been in a church and we've never done like, well, the church, the history of the church um, and what happens. But I, I I think it's interesting when you research what the early church, like the first 300 years of the church was like, it, it was so frustrating to uh, leaders and groups that were trying to get rid of them because they couldn't do anything to them. You know, they try to persecute them and they just respond with like love and kindness and, and, and they try to threaten their lives, and they're like, eh, to live is gain, to die is, or to live is Christ, to die is gain. Just proclaiming what Jesus, you couldn't do anything to him. It was so amazing. And that's what we're called to have that kind of attitude. And thankfully, I, I don't think many of us have to go through some of the things uh, some, some believers have throughout Christian history. But whatever we go through, well, this life is temporary. Either I, I still have, nothing can take away what I have in Christ. Just that attitude really changes um, how we view this life. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God. And Jesus is asked here, what is the greatest command? And his, his response is really interesting. They're trying to make him look bad. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to put him in a certain category where some some people may be mad at him because of his answer because, and and this is how he responds, here's the greatest command, you must love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with a little bit of your soul, no, of course, he says, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, this is the first and greatest command, a second is equally, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself, so it's really weird, He, he was asked one, and he's like, I can't pull these two apart, that you love God with everything, but, but, that love also extends to you're loving God by loving other people. So we couldn't really separate those two. And uh, it's just incredible that, uh, that, that that's what he's called to do, or calls us to do, and that really sums up what God has called us to do. And what I think is fascinating about this is... Um, uh, I didn't lose my train of thought. I'm just doing a dramatic pause right now. Um, Okay, I'll think of it in a second. Oh, no. That so many of us, we just categorize. And I know I've mentioned that before, but that we categorize things. And I know so many believers who would absolutely hate. Are you a Christian? Yes. But we just, well, what's this going on in your life? And we're not called to judge people, and I'm not trying to put some kind of guilt in people's lives. But, but there's things that obviously don't line up with that. And, and I, I really think uh, we, we don't understand that, that Jesus really made it simple, that, that we're, we're to love God in all things, with everything we have, in all decisions, in every point of life. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Let's read the real version. Okay? It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Um, in that picture, there is a trusting element. And I think part of why God does that is because we have to walk with him, which draws us closer to him. He wants a close relationship with us. And so we have to walk decision by decision, calling on his wisdom and his direction in everything that we're doing in life and that alone connects us closer to him but but understanding this and understanding the true nature of god we also need to remind ourselves that we are constantly going to be hit with lies from ourselves from the world from every direction of no don't trust god in all things and and, and some you know honestly i think sometimes we could nitpick about certain things, well, I'm following God in this, and someone else says they're following God because they took this verse and they view it this way and, and and I view it this way. And sometimes I think we get we try to get out of trusting God in all things by just like focusing on nitpick little um, little differences in how we're interpreting a passage or something. And and to be honest, I think that's just a distraction that really when it comes down to it God has made His truth pretty plain and clear, and the small little differences that we might go like, "Well, what did God mean this when in the Bible?" and those usually are insignificant to how we really live life. You know, did did He, you know, when He gives us these broad instructions of how we how we're to forgive and 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 His view of, of you know relationships and. And how we view things and stuff and temporary things and, and and those kind of things, those those aren't up for much debate. And so sometimes we get in the debate circle, I think, to get out of focusing on the clear things that we know we're supposed to do. Um, so what is your picture of Jesus? You know, I, I referenced last week, you know, is it the six-pound, eight-ounce Jesus? That's my favorite Jesus. Um. And, and we just think, because that's the other thing I think of when we sing Away in the Manger, that we think of just this tiny little cute little baby, and we so cute. Can I hold him? And, and we just, we're real comfortable with that, right? Because he's not, he's not intimidating. But the, the Jesus that we're presented to, uh, with in Scripture, is Lord. And so I love, in Away in the Manger, we're singing that it's the Lord Jesus, Meaning he is the ultimate authority in my life. I have chosen to fall under his lordship. That he is the supreme ruler and creator of all things. And it is incredible that he would humble himself and come to earth in this way. But don't forget who he is. So I also, when I'm singing that song, I also like to think of like Jesus returning too. And you think of Revelation and, and we won't have time to, to read that, but just the picture of a conquering king who's king of kings and lord of lords coming here in power and strength to do away with completely once and for all at one point in history, all evil, all history, all pain, all uh, things that, that all sin eventually will be dealt with. And he comes in power. And he is, he is the Lord God Almighty, the supreme ruler but he's to hold that position in our lives today and now in everything that we do and all our decisions that we make. The last part of that, that uh, carol is, Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and take us to heaven to live with we, with, I can't say these words, with thee there. And we get this picture, Jesus now is in heaven. It says he went to prepare a place that he's, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, and, and, and I love, we're celebrating at Christmas. Someone was telling me they, just the other day in preschool, they had extra time, didn't know what to do, so they sang Jesus' happy birthday. I think it was Keely. It's like, that's a good filler. But I don't know if you guys do that. Anybody do this at your home on Christmas Day? Sing Jesus' happy birthday? That's cool. Some people, they make a cake or something. It is his birthday we're, we're celebrating. And as we wrap this up, I, would, I, I think I would be remiss to share with you uh, what it means to come under the lordship of Jesus, what it means to know that you know that you know. And the Bible tells us we can, not, not kind of just hope things work out in the end. But we can know today, you can know this morning if you'll be with Jesus in heaven. And it's kind of like going to that birthday and and they have awesome, like they give you a present. You ever go to a birthday and like you get a present? You're like, awesome, I'm walking away with a present. I forgot to bring a present. Um, That's what Jesus does. That's what his birthday reminds me of, is that he gives us the ultimate gift. I mean, he comes to this earth to... Ultimately give us the greatest gift where we've ever been presented, and it is salvation. It is the forgiveness of our rebellion, our sin towards God, so that we could have a perfect relationship with God forever and it's the greatest gift you've ever been offered, but it's not forced upon you. It is something that you choose to receive. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing this carol, hopefully in kind of a new light, especially as we sing that Jesus is Lord. But if you've never made that decision, and I know many of you have probably heard this at Christmas, but I, I don't want to pretend that there, there aren't people around that, that potentially have never received the greatest gift of Christmas. They just like the movies and the carols and the tradition and the family and the presents and all that stuff. And they don't know that Jesus, the reason he came here, is that he what, He is Lord. He didn't become Lord. He is Lord creator. He spoke you into existence. Read the beginning of John. It's very clear. And this God came here to be a sacrifice to cover your sin and your rebellion. Like I said, John 3.16. I, I, I actually don't use this verse very much. I think, oh, it's, our, it's been used too much. And then I... I put it up and I'm like, oh, the reason it's been used is because it really does sum up the most important message of the Bible. For God so loved the world, that his love for you is beyond measure. He loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever just puts their trust in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. And then you can really sing this song, the last verse there, that Jesus, your Lord, and and one day I will be with you in, in heaven forever.